Welcome everyone to Spark My Muse. I am your host, Lisa Colon-Delay, and you're listening to Soul School, Lesson 231, Cultural Grief. Today I wanted to feature Micah Boyette. She describes herself as an author, prayer nerd, poet, speaker, reader, mom of three boys, Down syndrome advocate, podcaster, believer, skeptic, kombucha fermenter, and sunset connoisseur. You may be familiar with her as the author of Found, a story of questions, grace, and everyday prayer, or maybe the Slow Way newsletter, which includes spiritual practices. She's active on Instagram and has a lot of interesting Instagram stories, the Slow Way podcast, and she's also a co-host on the Lucky Few podcast. I really appreciate her work, and if you aren't acquainted with it already, please check it out. I will leave in the show notes at sparkmymuse.com for this episode, all the links where you can get a hold of Micah and her work. She feels like a kindred spirit to me in terms of the deep places of the heart where we find grief and we make our way through different places of wilderness and wild land. We both have disabled children who find unique challenges with their autism. And as a parent of a disabled child, It is a special kind of road that people really can't understand unless they've lived it. I get the Slow Way newsletter, and I was really touched by the latest one, and I wanted to read excerpts from it, from this one and another, just to give you a sense of what Micah is up to, and to share these wise words about grief, all the ways we might avoid it, not grieve in ways that heal us, how we culturally have a really hard time processing it well, lamenting in community properly, and rush through it and shove it aside because we want to live at such a fast pace and live in ways that avoid feeling some of these darker feelings that are part of life. A few excerpts really connected with me and wanted to pull them out and read them to you, hoping that her work can reach a broader audience and Some of my audience might join in with hers. She writes, My morning reading this week has been The Wild Edge of Sorrow, the book Barbara Brown Taylor referred to in a talk I mentioned in the newsletter last week. As I entered into the early parts of Francis Weller's book, I found myself drawn to the big statements of his preference. Weller sets us up for a big idea that will run through his whole book, that grief is a part of all of our lives, collective grief, traumatic grief, personal grief, and that grief that has not been lived out, spoken, expressed, falls into the shadow and re-arises in us as symptoms. The symptoms he mentions may not be shocking, depression, anxiety, loneliness, addiction, and say it, Francis, moving at a breathless pace, trying to keep up with the machinery of culture. I'm just going to stop here for a second because this is really powerful and it deserves a little extra attention. What Micah is pointing out is that we collectively don't go through grief in a way that will help us, in a way that we can get over it well, get through it well. It's part of all of our lives and collectively we don't move through it in a way so that when it's not lived out or spoken 
or expressed, it falls into the shadow and re-arises in us as symptoms. I think this is very interesting. We'll talk about symptoms a little more in a minute. Some of these symptoms are depression, anxiety, loneliness, and addiction, which maybe one would expect, but also moving at a breathless pace, trying to keep up with the machinery of culture. And I would add to that, not just the machinery of culture, but the mechanisms of busyness and social connection and activities that are not just culture, but our ways of handling our world, our ways of being that keep us not reflecting on what is deeper pain. Micah says, when I started this newsletter, I wanted to explore the breathless pace of our culture. I would say, indeed, the newsletter is literally called The Slow Way. I wanted to offer an alternative way of living that taps into our soul's need for rest, meaning an authentic connection with ourselves, each other, and the world around us. What I didn't expect is how much my personal journey of grief would help me understand a core truth, that the hectic pace of our culture is actually an overflow of our failure to grieve. I just want to say that one more time. It's, it's so insightful. What I didn't expect is how much my personal journey of grief would help me understand a core truth. And that core truth is that the hectic pace of our culture is actually an overflow of our failure to grieve. Or you could maybe even say a byproduct. There is so much loss in our shared earth, Micah says in our individual lives. And we don't know how to hold grief and hope in the same hand. And I would add to that, that life comes at us and we experience mixed emotions. There really is when we feel all good or all bad about something. Situations come with positives and negatives, pros and cons. And so these conflicts and these paradoxes come at us and it is hard to hold things in creative tension, hold the good and the bad in the same hand, grief and hope. She goes on to say, Weller talks about collective grief that stems from living in a world wrecked by war, climate change, and authoritarian governments. He wrote his book seven years ago. If it were written now, especially this week, I assume he would mention the devastation that white supremacy continues to inflict on people of color in this country. The attack in Buffalo this past week by a raging white kid with an assault rifle was another example of the depth of racial hatred and bigotry being passed to the children of this country, perpetuated by a white culture that insists that we don't need to talk about the race problem in America. I imagine Weller would talk about the personal and collective suffering of deep political and cultural divides in the U.S., the loss of one million people to a virus that may have been controlled had it not been for those deep political and cultural divides, and the personal pain that those divides have caused many of us who grew up in the evangelical church and now find ourselves estranged from a faith that's so far from the teachings of Jesus that we are spiritually homeless. What does it mean to grieve these deep sorrows in a way that allows for wholeness, for full-heartedness, knowing that if we don't grieve our faith, our country, and even our religious identity, we will most likely lean into the, quote, machinery of our culture, unquote, 
forgetting that our limits, our desires, and even our sorrows point to a reality that we are made for what Weller calls, quote, a bigger, more sensuous, and more imaginative life, unquote. She goes on to say, the hectic pace of the machinery allows us to skirt above the pain for a while, but eventually grief always leaks out. And when grief leaks out in the form of depression, anxiety, anger, addiction, or loneliness, it's a symptom of a bigger problem. Shallow attempts at satisfying others. Real humanity must include grief over what has been lost. And I'm going to pause there for a second to say, I totally agree that culturally we are inept at dealing with this territory of grief in our own hearts and also in our neighborhoods or our church communities and as a culture at large and indeed as a world, as a human species. And there is no real success in this territory among our leaders that could be modeling it to us. I do not see leaders grieving well. I'm talking about on the world stage. I'm talking about our political leaders. I'm talking about our church leaders. And I have noticed that because our leaders are very bad at this, very bad at admitting faults, grieving the disappointments and the shortcomings of themselves, the situations we encounter, and the pain and the disappointment up close for these things, there are symptoms that leak out. And one of those symptoms is the way blame happens and blame shifts. And there isn't a responsibility for feeling the bad feelings and accepting responsibility or accepting the kind of hardship one is having in one's own world. There's an overwhelm. And that internal pain has reached a dangerous threshold and it spills over and it poisons the environment. So you'll see this in leaders who are not accustomed to grieving, who are not skilled in grieving, not able to hold their grief and their pain along with hope. You'll see pointing the finger, complaining. You'll see cover-ups. You'll see blame-shifting, vilifying others. And there are so many instances of this. It would be difficult to even come up with a list and find a place to end that list. And these symptoms come out in other ways too, such as numbing habits, binging on drink or food, activities or shopping or watching too much streaming. This is the breathless pace we keep up to avoid this territory of grief. Micah goes on to say that Weller says, we are made for amazement and wonder, a way of living that must always invite in grief if it is to be full-hearted because wholeheartedness always welcomes all that is, thereby granting room for our most authentic life. And I would add, our most authentic life has all of the lows and all of the highs. We sometimes don't want to experience those lows and it's understandable, it's just immature. Barbara Taylor Brown quotes Weller when she says, almost everyone who falls off sorrow's wild edge, which is the title of his book, spends a lot of time wanting the grief to go away so they can go back to where they were before. But we are not meant to go back. That leads her back to the Beatitudes, 
where she says, wouldn't it be interesting to cultivate a way of being with God and one another that is lean enough to live in the wilderness for as long as necessary. Subsistence, spirituality may even be what Jesus had in mind when he said a blessing on the poor in spirit. I don't know anyone who wants that blessing. Everyone I know wants to be rich in spirit. They want a kind of faith that can move mountains, not the kind that moves into the shadow of one or enters the cloud on top of the mountain with no assurance of coming out in one piece. It seems to me that those of us who live with grief, disability, broken relationships, or mental health struggles, that is to say all of us, have the opportunity to understand that no one wants the poor in spirit blessing. But it seems to be where Jesus always starts when inviting us to the authentic love and relationship, which Barbara Brown Taylor calls subsistence spirituality and what that can provide. It's a place where there are no answers, but there is holy presence. When we're talking about something as abstract as grief, it's easy to determine that that doesn't apply to us, particularly if we're in a season where things are going our way and in which there are no massive losses to grieve. We haven't lost our jobs, our family's intact, we're relatively healthy. What's the point in thinking about grief? Micah says, I want us to consider that the turmoil and suffering of the past two years of the pandemic the deep divides in our country over race and perhaps the tumultuous political years before COVID have placed us in a moment where grieving our collective losses is necessary if we're ever going to heal. Otherwise, our society will continue to live at the shadow level of being content to accept, quote, resignation and endurance as the norm. How do we learn to grieve collectively? That's a question I'm still working through. And perhaps learning to lament together is a good place to start. Lament is a biblical and communal form of what we might call grief prayer, in which we're invited to raise our fists in frustration, push back on God's seeming inaction, and push for divine action on behalf of the brokenhearted and the oppressed. Hopefully from a place of believing that God loves our created selves and dreams for us to live in peace and justice on this earth. I'll stop there and speak to that a little bit. There are so many of the Psalms that cry out in lament and frustration and agony and shout out questions to God. Why have you left us? Why haven't you helped us and rescued us? We need you to not forget us. And included in those are usually some sorts of hopeful signs as well that you will come and you will rescue us. And working through the entire spectrum of emotions and the entire story of pain, going from confusion, anger, betrayal, loneliness, all the things that happen to us as we are shocked and dismayed when losses befall us or disappointments or pain and moving all the way through them toward hope in a better future. That's what we are invited to do. That's what we must do for wholeness and to not get stuck in bitterness 
and spiritual immaturity, to not have our spiritual growth stunted, because the Holy Spirit wants to work everything in the wilderness of our hearts to be fruitful, not just wastelands of unhealed pain. I appreciate that, that Micah talks about hard territory. She does it with kindness and insights that have been hard fought. One of the ways we will know the depth of our grieving and pain is by slowing down. And when you slow down and you feel it coming up and arising in you, moving from the shadow into symptoms or you finally recognize symptoms of grief for what they really are, that's the time to reach out for help, whether that's in prayer or some assistance from a spiritual friend, a therapist, a pastor that you can trust. That is how we move through this territory together, not in some kind of self-help tactic because we are stronger in community together with people we can trust and lean on. We can bear our burdens with each other as we share the load. So I invite you to slow down your pace, your breathless pace, as Micah calls it. We need full-hearted lament. We need full-hearted lament. It is painful. It is slow. It is a slow walk through that. But if we don't move slowly through the entire territory of it, we end up moving into shadow. And how I would term that related to my book, The Wild Land Within, I would say this would be a chasm in the heart, a chasm in shadow in the heart where the wounds are. And out of those wounds come symptoms. And these symptoms are problematic even on their own, but they are sourced somewhere. They're sourced in this, these shadow places, these hard places, these places that there is wound and grief. And when we don't have good models to follow, people doing it the right way, the slow way, leaders who are shifting blame, not taking responsibility for their own shortcomings and failures, it makes it that much harder to learn how to do it well. Listen to the wise voices out there who are telling you to slow down and get acquainted better with these harder places for a full-hearted lament process, which happens collectively in community, happens with other people. It happens through intimacy with God as well. It's not someplace you go through alone. And if this has touched you, reach out to Micah, reach out to me. Tell us how we can help. Tell us what you need. I thank you so much for listening. Share this program with someone else. Jump over to The Slow Way and listen to those wonderful podcasts that she has. I will speak to you again soon next week. I wish you much blessing and much peace.